for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Matthew chapter 28, last chapter of the first book in the New Testament. And we're going to read there in just... A moment. How many uh, how many history lovers do we have in the house of God tonight? History lovers. We can learn a lot from history, especially from the history of the United States, the history of our foundation and our uh, revolution that occurred here in the late 1700s. The American Revolution was a gathering together of not only incredible minds, but incredible courage. There, are, there was a collection of men in the American Revolution, what is known today as the Founding Fathers, that were critical to the beginning of our nation. Those men that gathered in Philadelphia in 1776, in what's known as the Constitutional Congress, had been greatly influenced by the religious teachings of the Great Awakening, but also by the political teachings that it taught. Yes, that even in the late 1700s, the preachers would stand up and teach about the political ramifications of our faith. The first five presidents of our nation, can anybody name them? First five presidents. George Washington. John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, and James Monroe. Those first five presidents were among the group of the, uh, of the founders, and uh, all of them had their names on founding documents. All of them were considered to be the group that was influential in bringing our nation into being. It's, uh, wouldn't it be nice if, you know, we still had a few founding fathers around in the United States? Wouldn't it be nice if we could st- still elect a few people like uh, uh, George Washington? Wouldn't it be nice if, you know, they could live to 300 years old and we could uh, kick out all the, all the dirtbags who are in Washington now and, uh, and elect some of those men with, uh, with not only character but with incredible intellect and understanding of freedom? You kind of wish, you know, that uh, at some point, those founding fathers would have continued living on. But here's the problem with life. People die. You're going to wear out one day. One day you're going to lose your hair. Well, most of you. <laughs> you're gonna, your joints are going to wear out. Your back is going to hunch over. You're going to lose your teeth. You're going to lose your eyesight. Boy, this is encouraging tonight, isn't it? And eventually, the time 
is going to take its toll on your life just like it does to every person until Jesus comes back, of course. The problem with life is that one person cannot do it all. We've got to have someone who comes in behind us. This is what happened in the early 1800s when the first five presidents, they were all considered founding fathers, and when it came time for the sixth to rise into his place, When it came time for the sixth president to be chosen, it was enough time had passed that these founding fathers and this founding generation had mostly begun to die off. And so the country faced a decision. What are we going to do next? Who will we elect next? And the, the first of those second generation leaders was a guy named John Quincy Adams. For me, perhaps one of my favorite characters from American history, John Quincy Adams, the son of John Adams. But he was the very first, listen carefully, he was the first American president that was not a founding father. He was the first second generation president. His name does not appear on any of the documents during the revolution, but something true about John Quincy Adams was that he carried the spirit of the Founding Fathers into everything that he did. And he became one of the the pillars of American history. He became an anti-slavery abolitionist. He was one of the first to call for the end of slavery in the United States. Without uh, Without his support, it may not have ever happened. It was, in fact, John Quincy Adams who was the one who took a young protege under his wings, a young protege state senator from Illinois, who one day would become the great 16th president of our nation, Abraham Lincoln. And under Abraham Lincoln, of course, the Emancipation Proclamation, which changed the course of our nation. I'm saying all of this from history because I hope tonight that you can learn something from it. It is not enough to have a single generation of people on fire for God. It is not enough to have Jesus and his 12 disciples. Because Jesus and his 12 disciples, Jesus was only in ministry for three years. And then guess what, y'all? He took an exit. And he left behind 12 disciples to take over in his place. But you know what's wrong with those 12 disciples? Those 12 disciples, they wore out. Each one of them died as martyrs for the cause of Jesus Christ. And if it was only those 12, then the church would have been in big, big trouble. But after the 12, there was another generation of believers, another generation of disciples, another generation of church planters, another generation of people dedicated to the cause of Christ, another generation of people willing to give their lives and even to give their lives in in death as martyrs for the cause of Christ. And here we are now, 2,000 years later, and the world is wondering. The angels up in heaven are wondering. And to be honest with you, I am wondering tonight if there will be another generation of young believers who will take up the cause of Christ and the cause of our fellowship and the cause of this church to rise up and take their place as another generation of righteousness. What we need tonight is what Elijah had, a school of prophets. And I want to read tonight 
what Jesus spoke the moment that he found his disciples after his resurrection, because here we find a secret to seeing another generation rise up, and that is in Matthew 28, verse 18, a sermon I've titled, Passing the Baton. Matthew 28, verse 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's let's pray for just a moment. Father, we come by the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the grace that you've shown, Lord, for the mercy Lord, for the opportunity that we have to know you. Lord, we don't take that lightly. We understand that it is your will and your purpose for us to be in this place tonight. I pray, God, that you would open up the ears of the old and the young tonight. Open up the ears of those whose hearts are turned toward you, God. I pray that you would inspire and challenge another generation of believers to rise up and take their place. We give you glory for all that you're going to do in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say... Amen. Again, the sermon of uh, the title of this message is "Passing the Baton." This comes from the imagery of uh, a, a race, uh, a, a race of uh, segments. Uh, that's not the right word. A legs. It's a uh, what kind of a race is it? It's called a relay race. Thank you very much. It's a relay race where uh, it is not only dependent on one runner to go around the track a few times, but a relay race is a team of runners. And in that, in that type of race, those runners are carrying a baton. And there comes a time in those races where it is time to pass the baton. And how many know if you've ever seen a race like that, that is the most dangerous point of the race? Because uh, as one person is running, the other person is coming beside, and then they try to pass that baton off while they're still moving. And what can happen many times is things happen and and they miss and they don't grab it right and the baton falls down. And all of that means that the race, that the teams become, uh, they they get further behind and they're not able, it's going to be more difficult for them to continue. I want to tell you tonight, this is true in life. This is true in the church. This is true in families tonight. We understand that, especially as parents, you have children in this place. One day you're going to pass the baton to your children. You're going to pass the baton of financial resources to your children. You're going to pass the baton of ethics and morality to them. Hopefully one day your children are going to grow up, and if you've done your job well, they're going to leave you, and they're going to continue on with what you've taught them. That's the picture of successful parenting that you pass on to them. I want to begin looking tonight at the will of God. The will of God is critical in our lives. How many know that the will of God should be the thing that determines the course of your life? Am I still preaching the right gospel here? The will of God is the thing that should determine the course of your life. I didn't think that that would be controversial in 2018, but I guess it is. Pastor, I got other things to do. Really? What could be more important than the will of God? Well, you know, I got to make some money. 
Well, you know, I got I to gotta take care of some bills. Well, you know, can I tell you, when you seek out the kingdom of God, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and guess what? All these other things will be added unto you. Don't tell me about I've got more important things than the will of God. That's foolishness to the Christian. That doesn't make any sense. The will of God is the greatest, most powerful thing that you could ever do with your life. Let us never diminish following Jesus to the ends of the earth. It is the highest calling of your life to know the will of God and to follow it. When I was a young man, I got saved when I was 16 years old. I was barely still wiping snot out of my nose. But here's what I did understand quickly. I understood that I needed to figure out what God's will for my life was. I had an idea of what I wanted to do. When I was about 14, I went to one of these military air shows where I saw these F-15s and F-16s flying over my head. And I said, whatever I got to do to get in one of those things, that's what I'm going to do. I said, I don't care. Air Force, what is it? Navy? Okay, whatever. Sign me up. I need to be in one of those. That was my plan. That was my purpose. That was all I could think about. But then I got saved and I understood that God had other things in mind for me. God had to change my mind. God had to show me that my will for my life was not as good as his will for my life. Have you learned that yet? Have you learned that when you do what God wants, it's better than when you do what you want? You will always be happier when you follow God. The people who are depressed, the people who are, uh, uh, who are broken, the people who are strung out on drugs are mostly backsliders. Did you know that? It's mostly people who know what the will of God is and refuse to do it. They lead miserable lives. What about you tonight? Do you understand that the will of God is exactly the place that you need to be? Jesus comes to them and he tells them exactly what God's will is for their lives. This is known as the Great Commission. A great commandment. It comes directly after Jesus had been resurrected. You know, it's interesting to me that this is the, his first message to them after he's been risen from the dead in the book of Matthew. Is he doesn't say, hey guys, good to see you. You thought you had it figured out, didn't you? He didn't say to them, whoa, that was awesome, right? He didn't say, why did you all forsake me? You know what he said? His first words to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He speaks to them about the authority that he has as the risen Son of God. Listen to these scriptures that define the promotion. Jesus got a promotion when he rose from the dead. You thought that he had it good as the, as the Son of God, the, 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 the God-made flesh in human form who come to the earth. You thought that was good. Well, when he was resurrected, Jesus got a promotion. He said, all authority has been given to me. Romans 14, 9, Christ died and rose again for this purpose, to be Lord both of the living and the dead. Ephesians 1, verse 20, Christ was raised from the dead. He was seated in the place of honor at God's right hand. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. That's why we sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. 
God Almighty, we give you glory because that is the promotion that Jesus got when he rose from the dead. Philippians 2.9, God has elevated Jesus to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. You want power? Follow Jesus. You want prominence in life? Follow Jesus because at his name, every other name is nothing. He, at, every, at his name, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Colossians 1 verse 16, for through him, through Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Jesus, I want to tell you something, Jesus is rising up tonight. If he has been promoted to a place of honor, we know that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I want to tell you, the exaltation of Jesus is something that continues to this day, 2,000 years later. Nothing can stop Jesus from being promoted. Continually. Ongoing, he is being promoted. His character, his values, his power, his position, his posture. Every day that goes by, Jesus becomes more prominent in the eyes of his Father. Jesus becomes more glorious in the eyes of his followers. He gains new arenas of ministry as mediator, as petitioner, as advocate, the great high priest, the king of kings, the Lord of the lords. And all of these are a result of this authority that he spoke about. The authority, he said, all authority. How much authority has he been given? All authority. Is there any authority that Jesus does not have? All authority has been given to me, Jesus says. I want you to to soak that in for for a moment tonight. Now here's the question that I have for you. What does Jesus do with all authority? I know what you would do with all authority you would cause every lottery to be won by yourself. You would, uh, you, I have the authority to take that Lamborghini off of your hands. Right? That's what we would do with authority. We would, we would uh, bend it toward materialism. What would you do with authority? Well, probably I'd destroy all my enemies, and I'd laugh on their graves. Like David prayed, break their teeth, Lord, right? But that's not what Jesus does with all Authority. What does Jesus do with all authority? This is where it comes down to you and me tonight. With all authority that has been given to Christ, here's what he said to his disciples. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. Isn't that interesting? If you had all authority, you would do a thousand other things. But Jesus has been given all authority, and what does he ask us to do? To use his authority to make disciples of all the nations. Right here, Jesus has eternally given his followers an incredible and an eternal purpose, which is making disciples. Everybody say making disciples. Making disciples, that's what he's called us to do. Making disciples. You tonight. Point at yourself. Me? You are called to make disciples. Did you notice that it didn't just say make disciple, make a disciple? No. 
Plural. Make disciples. There's an S at the end of that word in my Bible. How many disciples have you made? How many followers of Jesus have you trained, have you prayed with? If you are not in the process of making disciples, you are failing as a Christian. What, pastor? Yeah. Now, there's many ways that we make disciples. Your children are your disciples. You are making disciples out of them. You ought to be. A parent's primary goal is to get your children into heaven one day. What could be more important than that? You could give them the greatest school. You could give them the greatest, finest clothing and shoes. You could give them all the opportunities. But if they don't end up in heaven, you have failed as a parent. And I know children make their own decisions too. But I want to tell you, parenting is disciple-making. Not only that, but right here in the church, Jesus has given us this eternal purpose of making disciples. This is a global vision. Make disciples not just where you live, but he said make disciples of what? All nations. That we as a church, we must be fixed on the needs, not just of our local city, our state, our town, but of all nations, not just the favorite ones. All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What is baptism tonight? Baptism is an outward sign of an inward miracle that God is already doing. Listen, if you are saved, if you have repented of your sins and you're not baptized in water, you are being disobedient to the Lord. Have you been baptized? The very first commandment that Jesus gives to His followers, to those who have received Him, is to be baptized in water. It's the first real step of obedience. Don't tell me about how obedient you are if you haven't yet been baptized in water. In the New Testament, it always occurs after faith and repentance. In other words, the tradition of baby baptisms. Maybe you've seen that in the Roman Catholic Church where they, they sprinkle a few drops of water on the baby's head. Can I tell you, we don't see that in the New Testament. We only see baptism that occurs after a confession of faith, after a repentance of sin, after, listen, I, I can remember when I was about seven years old, somebody convinced me it would be a good idea to be baptized in water. And so I was like, okay, swimming in church, that sounds fun. Put on my swimming trunks. Pastor up there, he was dressed in his white, silky robe. I was like, well, that's kind of weird. And I went up there and I got the dunk and I had no idea what I was doing. It meant nothing to all, all those people were real happy. But it didn't change anything about me. Later on, when I became a real Christian, I began following Jesus. I was serious about my faith. Then I said, I want to be baptized in water. It meant something to me. It meant that it was an outward sign of faith that God had already done something inside of me. Maybe you're still, uh, you're still hanging on to that baptism back when you were seven years old that really didn't mean anything to you. I wonder, maybe it's time to get rebaptized. Hey, I'm all for it, man. If you need another, another dunk, we'll do it. In the New Testament, it always occurs after faith and repentance. It's symbolic of the transformation and deliverance. It's 
God's people as they came out of Egypt. Before they could get to the promised land, you know what? They had to pass through the sea, parted the waters. It's a picture of baptism. It was the very first thing that happened as they came out of bondage. Then verse 20, Jesus says, teaching them. Everybody say teaching. You are called to be a teacher. Are you hearing me tonight? A teacher. Teaching them to what? To observe all things that I have commanded you. So they are supposed to be taking, we are supposed to be taking the commandments of Jesus. We have them in our hands tonight. And we are supposed to be teaching them to another generation of disciples. Look at the, look at the promise that he gives them. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. My favorite story about this scripture that Dave Eccles told us is that when he was uh, preaching in, in China, that he read that scripture, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And there was a guy sitting on the front row. And when he said those words, that guy on the front row got all excited and his face lit up. And he was so happy and excited and filled with joy. And so after the service, the man came up to him and he, he said, Pastor, I, I, I'm so amazed that you read that scripture in the service today. He says, Why? He says, Because my name is Lo. Lo, I am with you always. Jesus is not saying, I'll be with you no matter what you do. He's not saying, I'll be with you if you're sitting on the couch eating potato chips. He's not saying, I'll be with you if you're on Facebook for eight hours a day. He's not saying, I'll be with you as you binge Netflix all night long. I just got somebody here. Listen to what he's saying. He's saying, I'm with you always when you are doing these things. When you are making disciples and teaching them to observe the things I've commanded you. This is our work. This is our priority. The goal that Jesus is into as he pours his presence onto us, the work of teaching, preaching, building, and making disciples. This is not just a job for me as the pastor. This is your job. Are you making any disciples, believer? We are called, beloved, to train our replacements. This is the goal of parenting, as I mentioned. You are training your replacement one day. One day you're going to pass the baton, and hopefully your children have got enough understanding and wisdom from you that they're able to live a productive life. Can I tell you something tonight? One day I'm not going to be able to preach anymore. I don't know how long that'll be. But someday there's going to be, have to be somebody else who rises up. You know, on Saturdays, we typically have outreach. We, have, uh, we do concert scenes or we do movie night. You know, there's going to be a time when, when I'm not going to be able to do all that. When the, the, the small group of men who are taking care of those things are not going to be able to do those things. The hope is that there be somebody who would rise up and say, okay, I can help with that. I love Brother Dave, and he does great on the drums. Well, one day Dave's going to get old, man. We're going to need somebody else to play these drums. We already lost our keyboard player. That thing's been empty for months. So lonely over there. I'll tell him again. It's okay. We'll get somebody for you. Somebody who would believe God. I know you're not perfect. You're not Mozart yet, but you could play. 
You could do something. You know what? I love leading outreaches, but I can't lead every outreach. Brother Ramon, I love Brother Ramon. He does a great job as an usher and cleanup crew. But you know, one day, Ramon's not going to be around anymore. Is there going to be somebody who rises up to take his place? I love playing the guitar. I really do. One of my hobbies. But you know, I can't wait for the day that somebody else would say, I'd like to play the guitar. I'll pass it off in a heartbeat. As long as you are a disciple of Jesus Christ and your heart is to do the things of God. Our job as believers is to pass the baton. Pass the baton. To pass the baton. We need another generation of believers that will rise up. Today, we went out to outreach. We, we uh, Pastor, uh, Pastor Milliman, who is here this morning, if you missed it, uh, Pastor Milliman is, is uh, the very first person from the Chandler Church who came and established a church here in Virginia Beach nearly 30 years ago. He was here this morning visiting with his wife. And uh, what a special thing it was. Can you imagine 30 years there has been a church in Virginia Beach serving God? What a great thing it was. And so, uh, so he, he, his, he, he loves to do street evangelism and ministry. I put a call out this afternoon, and I, I know it was last minute, but I put a call out. Could we have a, a few people join us at the Wawa, South Independence in Holland Road? I put that message out to a few people. And you know what? We had some amazing people show up. We had, uh, we had Pastor Milliman there, his wife. I was there, my wife, my two girls. And uh, we had uh, some Holy Ghost women that were out there with us. But you know what? God challenged me. Where's the men? How come we didn't have any men besides me and Pastor Milliman? Where are the men at? Thank God for women who will rise up and be courageous and hold a sign and preach the gospel on the street corner. Thank God. But we need some men to rise up. Hallelujah. We need some young people to rise up. Young people, to catch a fire of the Holy Spirit, realize that you can't make it to heaven on your parents' good deeds. You're going to have to make up your own mind to serve Jesus someday, to be a disciple. It's funny how kids always want to be older until they get older, and then they want to be kids again. Sometime, we need to see youth rising up. I'm so grateful that I got saved as a teenager. I got saved when I was 16, as I've mentioned. Before I was entangled in the web of sin and ungodliness, and before I got involved with alcohol, my life was heading in that direction, but God saved me before I got there. Thank God for that. Thank God that, that he saved me from the wickedness of the world. But, you know, that came with responsibility. I was 19 years old when I got married. <laughs> These young people looking at me with bug eyes. 19? That's like a foreign language in our world today. I thank God for that. Tomorrow we're celebrating 18 years. But, you know, 
because we had a heart to rise up and do something for God. You know, uh, we, we, uh, we were only 25 years old when we became missionaries. So what's your excuse? Can't even keep a job. Well, maybe we should just end it right there. <laughs> Jeremiah. God spoke to Jeremiah when he was a young, young man. Jeremiah 1, verse 4. The Lord gave me this message. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. Oh, Lord, I can't speak for you. I'm too young. The Lord replied, don't say that. Shut your mouth, Jeremiah. You can't say I'm too young. Listen to what he said. Wherever, for you must go wherever I send you and say whatever I tell you. Don't be afraid of the people. For I will be with you. I'll protect you. The Lord, I, the Lord, have spoken. Don't hide behind your youth. Your youth is your superpower, man. So let's close with a life of rising up. 2005, 2005, we were launched out into Bulgaria. That's going on 13 years ago. Been in the ministry now for 13 years. In those times, during that time, there have been a lot of, dis- a lot of people saved and many disciples that, are, that we have trained along the way. Let me ask you, how many have you made? I have observed a hard truth in the church. There are many people in ministry, there are many people doing well, but they're really not training anyone else. They're really not passing a baton. We as the people of God are called to train our replacements. Train our replacements. 1 Kings 19, so Elijah went and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, plowing a field, and he threw his cloak across his shoulders and walked away. Elijah went and he said, my time is done. Elisha, now it's your turn. See, when I'm looking around this building tonight, I'm asking this question, who can I pass the baton to? Who will take up the mantle? Is there anyone here tonight that would take up a mantle of prayer? That would take up the baton of working and laboring Saturday outreaches? You know, I had to work hard to not work on Saturdays. You know what I'm saying? To find a job that allowed me to have ministry opportunities on Saturdays. That I, I, I would miss out on jobs. I would not take work because I had Saturday outreach to do. And over the years, God has blessed that. God has helped us. I'm looking around at this congregation and wondering, is there someone here who would rise up to leadership? Bible studies, outreaches, Saturday concerts, drama teams, sound booth, usher crew, cleanup. Listen. There's a group of people here that has been working and laboring so hard for the last 15 years. 
you know we're not spring chickens anymore. (laughs) We need some help. We need someone to rise up. And we need to be the ones who are willing to train. You know, there's this thing that that it becomes hard for us. You know, they say that if you want something done right, you have to do it yourself. I want to tell you, if you end up doing it yourself, you are cursing the next generation. If you tell your children to clean up their room and they don't do such a good job, so you go in there and you finish it up for them, you've robbed them. Right? You're not just called to clean the room for them. You are called to teach them how to clean their own room, how to make their own bed, how to wipe their own. Sorry. And if we don't let them do those things, we rob them. It's the same as true in the house of God tonight, church. Are you hearing me? We need another generation of teachers, preachers disciples. So let us rise up tonight. I close with this last scripture, Nehemiah 2.18. And I told them of the hand of my God, which had been good upon me, and also the king's words that he had spoken to me. So they said these words, let us rise up and build. And they set their hands to this good work. There's a lot of things you can give your life to. You can give your life to a sport, you can give your life to an industry. You could give your life to an individual. I want to tell you, the best thing you could give your life to is the will of God. To know what it is and to pursue it with all of your heart. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes tonight. thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vvph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.